Virtual productions are changing and expanding the ways in which films and media are made. But how can virtual productions further the possibilities for creativity? And how accessible are these tools to independent creators? It provided a different option instead of Oh, we're filming outside, but it's going to rain today. Well, what do we do? Now there's less barriers. Earlier this year, the New York City Center for Media Education held a virtual production panel as part of the 2023 CME Winter Media Summit. The goal was to define what exactly is virtual production, explore how creators are using VP tools, and how the film and media industry is embracing this technology. It's breaking that barrier and opening up a lot of different options for filmmakers and just content creators. For this panel that we are revisiting in today's episode titled Inside Virtual Production, What It Is and Why You Should Care, CME was joined by content creator Adrian Miranda, immersive media producer Asia Quinn Evans, and director of sales and Moses Andrew Anacito. The panelists spoke with CME director of media education Tiffany Blunt and discussed their creative process, the impact that virtual production could have on the future of storytelling, and how the technology is enabling creators to make exciting artistic decisions. The industry right now for what I call like interactive media or immersive media, I think is at kind of a crossroad news because virtual production is coming more into play. Please join us as we revisit this panel from February. From the New York City Center for Media Education, this is CME Presents, where we explore how the digital stories and media that we watch, listen to, and experience are created. And this is the Inside Virtual Production Panel from February 2023. Joining me tonight, I have an amazing panel of individuals, and so I'm just going to introduce them for you right now. Uh, to my left, Adrian Miranda. Adrian is a content creator with a physical therapy side hustle. His health-focused comedy web series, Gross Anatomy, teaches human anatomy and how the body works. Gross Anatomy stars the ever-frustrated fictional Dr. Dennis, who is assigned to teach a group of quirky and indifferent GED students about human anatomy, or he will fail graduate school. With his physical therapy training and filmmaking skills, Adrian is working to democratize health education by using humor to teach people about the human body so they can take better care of their health. Next, we have Asia Quinn Evans. Asia is a producer who specializes in immersive, interactive, and nonfiction experiences at the intersection of art and tech. She has worked with Black Public Media, American Documentary, PBS, March on Washington Film Festival, IDFA, Skylight and the National Film Board of Canada, along with numerous independent creators. Currently, Asia is a producer for Black Public Media's Emerging Media Program, BPM Plus, and supervising producer for the VR Equity Lab at March on Washington Film Festival. Previously, she worked for POV's interactive department, POV Spark. While there, she helped to launch Otherly, in Instagram Stories documentary series co-produced by the NFB and POV. Otherly was nominated for a Webby Award in 2002 and was recognized as part of Columbia University's 2002 Digital Dozen. Asia believes experiences created at the intersection of art, tech, and storytelling have the power to tap into untold narratives and build new systems in real time. And lastly, we have Andrew Anacito, 
Andrew is the East Coast Director of, uh, of Sales at Moses, one of CME's partners. He found his love for technology while working at Apple. During his time at Red Digital Cinema, he supported clients by providing education and tools needed to bring their projects to life. He continues to support creatives in his role at Moses, sharing the power of the industry standard Star Tracker camera tracking system, which shows them how to widen their view of what is possible in filmmaking. Thank you all for joining me tonight. Thank you. Of course. Thanks. So a lot of people who may be watching this might not necessarily be familiar with virtual production. So I really want to kind of start off with what is virtual production for you? There's many different elements to it. There's a lot of different technologies surrounding that term. Um, but what does it mean for you and how do you all use it or interact with it in your professional lives? It means I can uh, produce on my computer in my bedroom. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I think I think for me, because I came from live action uh, production it also like provided a different option into instead of, oh, we're filming outside, but it's going to rain today. You know, what do we do um, now? There's very there's less barriers. The barriers are like, you know, is the Internet out? Is uh, do I know how to do this software or this technology? But it affords um, the possibility to just use my computer um, and some hardware, other hardware, software, and then pretty much produce anywhere virtually. Uh, that's that's for me what's um it allows me to do currently yeah i think you know, i would put it as as um real-time visual effects and like you said there's a lot of different things you could do with it a lot of different categories so like there's ar there's augmented reality there's uh vr there's xr there's mixed reality you can even uh scan real objects and turn that into virtual as well you could do full virtual studios where you're using virtual talent and virtual studios as well so you know i think you know like you said it's it's breaking that barrier and opening up a lot of different options for filmmakers and just content creators yeah i would totally i like that definition real-time vfx i feel like that really simplifies what it is and what it can be yeah. i think a lot of my work uses different technologies to create digital works and sometimes i think that can also be called virtual production but in the industry like when we're i think when people are speaking to it that is what they're talking yeah. about this like real-time vfx yeah. which sometimes involves real people mm -hmm. and sometimes it's totally animated the interesting thing for me about virtual production is that it's not really new it's just sort of continuing to evolve you know because when we think about green screen and the trains moving behind the, <laughs> the folks and then it looks like yeah. it's coming into the audience like that was technically virtual production it's just constantly evolved and so i think people don't realize that they've had some sort of interaction but uh, how did you all get uh you know updated informed notified like how did you even get into this space you know did you start in traditional production did you always somehow do and create uh virtual production you know, what is your introduction into VP? Uh, I started working for a company called Moses. Um, you know, they, they brought me into virtual production. I was working with Red Digital Cinema before, so I was working with content creators and filmmakers. Um, but I always wanted to be working with a company that, you know, that pushes boundaries and wants to be at the forefront of new technology. So that's kind of where I went. I'd, I'd love to say I'm on the creative side, but th those are skills that I... I'm 
working on. <laughs> yeah, actually, I like to tell the story that used to be, I used to work in science. And like the first time I was in a VR headset, I was actually looking at cells that I had scanned. Um, and I think like taking real live objects in this case cells and then just putting them in virtual spaces was like the first time I got to be like up close and personal with this thing <laughs> that like, I shouldn't be able to touch. Um, and that was like at least three years before I ever got into the actual like story making space. Uh, so we have an hour, right, for me to tell my stuff. <laughs> uh, so I'm a physical therapist, actually. Um, I was practicing up. <clears throat> excuse me. I was practicing up until August of this of this past year. But um, for uh, to be honest with you, um, it really came as a way. Uh, so in school, I was not the best student. So I'm a good physical therapist, <laughs> but in school, I was not the best. And I realized I have, I have terrible auditory processing. So you tell me something, I can listen to a song for 10 years and not know any of the lyrics. Um, actually, I was just telling them about a song I wrote two weeks ago and I don't even know what the <laughs> lyrics are. But I have terrible auditory processing. So physical therapy school was a lot of didactic lecturing and I had a hard time. And then the pictures in the textbooks were all two-dimensional. And so it didn't give you the full scope of how your shoulder moves because we live in 3D space. So I kind of knew... When I left, like my last year of grad school, I was like, this has to be on TV. I want to be like Bill Nye, but I want to be cooler and do storytelling. So for me, I kind of knew I had to, I wanted to push the limits of uh, storytelling and production and technology with the knowledge I had in physical therapy. And so uh, long story short, I got into production, regular production. Um, after uh, I started learning, I, after I graduated, I took five years to like focus on my profession in the clinic. And then when I learned production, uh, I knew I wanted to recreate VFX. Like I loved action. I grew up in the nineties watching Eraser and Schwarzenegger and Tom Cruise. And, you know, I say that like, I can retire when I recreate the Tom Cruise explosion on the train one day. Um, but the goal was that the only way I can teach the public people was to use 3d uh, movement and to use VFX to entertain. And so I knew that that wasn't be my trajectory. I didn't realize to be honest that at this stage in my life, I would be creating virtual production. Like I really, I didn't imagine that for like another five years. So it was a way to be able to like right now in the pro, the production I'm working on is like, I can show you how your shoulder actually moves in real life, right? In, in real time and in real life and how it actually moves as opposed to from a lecture or actually even from like a YouTube video. So that's how it started for me that I knew I wanted to show people actually how your body moves but I needed to use the tools that virtual production now or 3D uh, a game softwares, game engines could, could, could give. So that kind of takes me into some of the specifics of the technologies, because I feel like each one of you sort of utilizes it in different ways. Uh, and we've kind of used the term AR, augmented reality, camera tracking. Uh, you just kind of mentioned Unreal Engine. Maybe for those who aren't quite as versed as we are up here, uh, maybe break down using some of the projects that you've worked on or are working on, how you've actually integrated virtual production into the storytelling process, or even for you, Andrew, how uh, Moses has done that with clients and, and projects that they've helped facilitate. Yeah, so um, we have one of our industry standard star trackers here. Um, so to break that down is... We have these little reflective markers that we call stars that either go up on the ceiling or on the floor, and they're put up at random patterns uh, so you can make a little constellation. Um, so what we do is we take a, our sensor that lives above or below the camera, 
and we map that entire constellation so we know where the camera is going to be in the real world so what the star tracker does is it tracks the pan the tilt the x y and z coordinates of where wherever you move your your practical camera as well as focus and zoom so you're getting all of that information all of that is fed into the unreal engine or whatever engine you want to work into and it interprets that so whenever you move the practical camera it moves the virtual camera so when you're when you're trying to create content and you're telling these stories you you're you're trying to convince the audience that you're not just standing on a static camera in front of a green screen or an LED wall. The LED wall will move or the, the scene or background that you're using is also going to move and you're going to get that parallax and start getting your audience to think, is that real? And then, you know, uh, ideally you'd be like, they don't even think about that. They just assume it's real. So we have the tools and software to do that to help the content creators and the filmmakers and anyone who wants to get into the industry. And the benefit of that, if you think about it, for folks who are shooting on location or trying to shoot scenes where they can't control the weather, they can't control the lighting, um, you know, the benefit of that is how much more control you have. Oh, yeah. You get 12 hours of the golden hour if you want it. You know, that's, it opens up, uh, again, we will say it breaks the barrier of, you have a certain amount of time or you have to be on location here. And now, you know, the costs go down. Uh, we were talking about this earlier that it's there, there's more pre-production happening. But in the end, you're definitely lowering costs. Asia, have you you know, I know you have a little bit more experience in the motion capture space. Um, I would love for you to talk a little bit about what that consists of and how that's utilized in the projects that you worked on or helped facilitate. Yeah, sure. I mean, I so a lot of the projects I work on right now, I'm working with artists who are mostly working in nonfiction section, like documentary, but in VR or augmented reality. And I think sometimes when people think about virtual production, maybe they're thinking, you know, Star Wars or an animated um, series, um, which is all very true. But I think we forget that we can also tell nonfiction stories in that space. So we just brought a group of artists with um, a company I work for, Black Public Media, to a motion capture studio. And folks were getting capture uh, motion to, to embody uh, um, Toussaint, for instance, who, who led the Haitian Revolution. Um, and they're creating an experience. Um, one of our, one of our uh, fellows is creating an experience, um, Rayburn. Um, where you actually get to interact and hold conversation with this historical figure, embodying different people from that time period and kind of getting their perspective of what they thought about this integral moment um, in all of our histories. Another person um, is bringing to life this queen, uh, Kandika, um, who is unknown in African history as someone who was a leader to her peoples. And so um, Ainsley Allen Robson got to be in this motion capture suit and put on what it was to be this queen that will go on to live in her nonfiction story uh, about this real life person. And so I think in that way, motion capture is also really magical and that it's giving the artists the opportunity to embody the people that they're going on to tell stories about but also bringing like our histories like to this 
quote unquote um, modern or innovative space. Um, but like you said, it's been around for, for so long. It's not so unlike, I think, the storytelling that we've always kind of done with each other as communities, you know. Yeah. But I like that you mentioned that because I feel like um, folks think of facial capture, motion, motion capture, and they associate that with animation and cartoons and video games, but not necessarily in narrative filmmaking or documentary filmmaking. And so I think it's important for folks who aren't necessarily familiar with the technology to know how they can use it and how it can be a storytelling tool beyond just creating characters, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And like for the instance, for, for Kandika, what they did to create that character is they actually took um, renderings of what actual statues of this woman look like, then put them into mm-hmm. a game engine. Yeah. Finish those those out. Basically, filled in all the missing pieces from what was ruins, essentially, and then brought her back to life. And so, yeah, you can do that too. We had another um, artist who actually just three D scanned himself and then put himself into the game engine and then spoke to his audience in that way. And so, then it actually becomes like truly, truly quite real um, at that point. Yeah. And so, you know, I'm gonna kick it over to Adrian so we can talk a little bit about. We've been mentioning this game engine. Unreal Engine, I know there's other, you know, uh, gaming programs, but maybe just talk a little bit about what is Unreal Engine, how do you use it, and how can a creative who maybe has no experience utilizing it can integrate it? Oh, man, give me the hard question. Yeah, <laughs> it's like that abstract. Did. That's why oh I said it's supposed to be. So, what was the question again? <laughs> well, what do you... <laughs> so, just... Talk a little bit about Unreal Engine. I know you okay. got some experience with it. Yeah, Just a little yeah. bit about how you use it um, and how it can be a storytelling device. Sure. So, I mean, if you played video games, you know that you walk around with a character and you have these options to shoot, jump, crouch, and a conquest or a journey. And so Unreal Engine lets you, it's like a playpen. Like you can add all your characters in there. And, uh, you know, the other one that's familiar is Unity. And I've used Unity a, a little bit. But, you know, why I talk about Unreal Engine is that I believe, in my, at least in my opinion, that for cinematic and for filmmaking style content, um, it affords me a little bit more flexibility. It's actually easier to use because I came from using Adobe, the Adobe Suite. Um, but yeah, it's just the way that you can uh, bring in uh, worlds. You can animate worlds. You can animate characters. Um, you can use cameras to move around, just like Andrew was talking about. I'm a virtual camera to move around to Dolly and uh, it's, it's just like a big playpen. Like it's just like a, you know, like a bunch of toys you can play with on your computer <laughs> and you can bring things to life. Just kind of like Asia was saying, like you can photogrammetry yourself and literally bring yourself into that gaming engine and you could play a game with yourself or you can create a cinematic movie starring yourself looking like you, or you can create a cyborg for free or, or create a completely different character that you can imagine. And one thing that I've been told is by people who are helping me out or I'm learning from is like, don't limit your imagination. If you imagine you can actually create it. And so Unreal Engine gives you a lot of flexibility and you want the camera to move here. You want golden hour. You want to have green hair, but you already have green hair in real life. <laughs> but if I want to have a mohawk and red hair, I could do that in the gaming engine. So, and it gives you a lot of um, ways to automate things as well. So if I want to, every time the camera goes, you know, uh, in this direction, the, the character explodes. 
you can do that. Or when you walk into this chair, let's say we're in a 3D environment in Unreal Engine, I can tell the system when I walk into that chair, I explode. Um, so that's why I use Unreal Engine, and that's what that's a bit about what the engine does. Or the it's a software that you can play in 3D um, and create content in. Now, how have you created content in the engine? Because yeah. obviously, you're. I hope you're not blowing things up if you're talking about physical therapy <laughs> yeah. and body parts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Why not? Uh, <laughs> uh, I joke, but no, I will be. <laughs> so, uh, so I use it in first. So, what you were talking about the description of gross anatomy, Doctor Dennis. So, I'm a physical therapist. It's it's very 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 loosely based on me, um, but it's. Um, so the the I did do a live action web series five episodes with this character, Doctor Dennis. It's kind of like community you know, meets scrubs. And so what I am doing uh, was that I took the web series and I said, I ran out of money, <laughs> right? And I want to do way more special effects and, 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 and sketches and I don't have the money. So um, I decided with this opportunity, let me bring this character into the metaverse. And so Dr. Dennis, uh, there will be actually a, a little bit of live action. So what I'm doing is bringing that character, Dr. Dennis, uh, which is already done, um, into like this metaverse space kind of environment where he has to um, save the world in the metaverse from this evil robot uh, that the gross anatomy headquarters is like the last part. So uh, he has, there's a command of the army um, and then there's uh, his sidekick who's this big muscular person, but he's clumsy and he can't fight. So, and then there's the robots, like a horde of robots they're defending and so Dr. Dennis has to keep the robots healthy because their bodies respond just like humans. Uh, and so, and then the, the enemy, the, the, the evil robot is using these metallic skeletroids to attack. And so what, I, what that lets me do is that I can, if I want to drive in the spaceship and fight this robot, I can. If I want to, which I'm doing, a hologram of the human body and have a sequence where I'm explaining how the scapular muscles are important in the shoulder health, I can do that. Um, so that's why I'm using it and that's how I'm using it. And, you know, there are going to be animations of fight scenes, animations of, you know, the human body. There's going to be animations of like dramatic moments and camera movement movements. So that's how I'm using it. Um, and so it's kind of like a, a, a spinoff of the live action web series. And because I ran to the money, I can do this uh, somewhat affordably uh, and I can explode things. I can fly things. I can drive things off cliffs. I can punch skeletons and make their heads explode. So, you know, that's, that's what it affords me. So how, how do you all perceive this technology as being accessible to folks to being able to use, to create their content uh, versus, you know, I can pull out my phone and make a movie or make a film, you know, because when you think about, certain types of content where VR is involved and there's, there has to be headsets um, or just the technology in general uh, being a different learning curve. Like how similar or different do you feel that VR is from traditional video or television production, you know, from your experience, if you've kind of seen both sides of the, the landscape? Yeah, well, I'm kind of curious, like you, hearing you speak, I'm, I wonder how long did it take you to to learn like to how to like really use Unreal Engine in a way that was like that you could get through production. I mean, you were just talking about like two weeks ago, you, you, you wrote a you wrote a song and suddenly you're already like able to like animate that. But like for me, I mean, I'm not 
on the technical side so much, right? Like I'm working with artists to kind of develop their projects to that point and we're hiring teams to do these things. But when I saw like Unreal Engine 5, like roll out their cityscape, I was like, oh, like mm -hmm. any, like a 10 year old who really wants to nerd out on this can create freaking like Spider-Man. You're not wrong. <laughs> You're not wrong at all. You know what yeah. I mean? Like it could actually like really disrupt spaces. But I think what I've learned um, working with folks who aren't creative technologists or who aren't developers the it's the learning curve that i think sometimes becomes the inaccessible part but i'm curious what y'all think that's good because i have that question like how did y'all learn how to do this <laughs> i, I yeah. literally am curious yeah. i i agree that there, there is a fairly steep learning curve to figuring out like a an engine like that um and it does take time with you know epic has their uh, the classes that you can take, you can do stuff online. There's a there's a lot of content out there that helps you learn this, but um, yeah, it's I I think it it opens up the ability for you know if someone wanted to blow things up, they can you know. Um, it, and, and how much would that cost on a yeah, real film set? Exactly <laughs> the cost of that, just the, the CG alone, there, right? right? Yeah. But yeah, it, you know it it's free you can download it and you can you can start playing around there are free uh environments and free uh you know tables and chairs and things that you want to explode you could you could actually get that and start playing around and start learning and i think this is a good time for a lot of people to start picking it up to start learning and you know there are places like here at, at mnn that are going to be able to help you find that and teach so i think yeah as someone who's a creator uh, uh, I guess talent and then also developing in the tech tech side. Um, you know, I've had kind of a, a tough time with that question recently. And I think it's because, um, there is a lot of accessibility. Unreal Engine is free. It is free. However, it comes at the cost of having a very fast computer that would cost you a PC, maybe over two grand or an a Apple computer more than that, way more than that. Um, it, ca it comes at the expense of fast internet as well. Uh, it comes at the expense of a lot of, if you want to have a cityscape, you might have to buy one for 10 bucks, but five or six assets does add up. So there is this barrier to entry. If you don't have the right resources for internet service in your, you know, maybe you're in NYCHA housing and you have terrible internet. Uh, and it happened to me just when I moved back to, I grew up in Washington Heights. And so I kind of think about when, you know, one of my goals, like one day have a pipeline uh, for every age of people who didn't go to college or didn't go to school or in high school or young. But there is some barriers. Like it's not it's not really easy in one aspect. Right. On the other aspect, it is very challenging, uh, even as someone who knew Adobe Premiere Pro after Adobe After Effects, a little bit of Blender. But I could tell you right now, if you hold on and you kind of keep learning and doing tutorials and you keep just messing up and crashing the system, the learning curve kind of, it kind of goes really slow and then it kind of spikes up. So even now, things I'm just like, I don't need to do that, but I, I think I know how to do it now. <laughs> you know, like a blueprint or an animation or something. Um, I'm just like, oh, I, I think I could do that. You know what, agent, hold off. So where before it was like, oh man, I can't even think about step four, five or six. So it, cause there's so many options. I think Unreal Engine, we think about it as maybe like, you know, live, uh, um, real-time VFX for the LED wall and virtual cameras, uh, real-time, or for me, it's just animation production, but you can model in that. You can do full-on animations, only animations. You can do, I don't know, a bunch of the landscape art, uh, artistry. So it's, it's, 
it was it's cheap for sure i think but it also means that like like you said you have an iphone 14 you can make a cinematic movie right now you know uh but your camera can only hold so much data right uh, and so there's an easiness to it in the fact that if you use it for its limited capacity, if you have internet service and you have a decent computer, you could do plenty of stuff. But there are definitely some limitations to it. I think in the future we'll get much faster and easier. But um, that's that's what I think about the learning curve is very hard, and uh, I think it's linear, and then it go just kind of shoots up. So you have to hold on and just be kind of like stubborn. Are there any specific skills or? I guess traits that someone may have that can help them sort of transition into this type of technology, creating this type of content. I think uh, <laughs> a comfortable understanding of what the Unreal Engine can do is a great start. Um, like you said, it, it is a little it is a little hard to get into it very quickly, um, and yeah, I think you know being able to know what it's capable of is huge. So, you know, I, I understand like you would definitely need to have a pretty strong computer to get, like, you know, if you start building an environment and you want to see it in 4K, you want ray tracing, you want anti-aliasing and all the reflections there. Yeah, you're going to need to have a pretty beefy uh setup, but at the same time, there there's like a there's a balance that you need to also be able to remember that if like let's say we're doing something on an LED wall, everything at 4K with all, all the dials turned up, you're going to get like three frames per second on this wall. So you have to be able to learn how to optimize your scene to be, be like, all right, well, we're only shooting in this section, so let's just pull that out. Let's turn the resolution down. Let's take reflections off. So figuring out all of this is definitely key if you want to get into the virtual production world. Um, and I think the biggest thing is going to be patience. You know, it's not going to be something that, that's going to happen to you. Um, right away is it's a process and you know you don't want to rush that process you want to you want to know how to do everything properly i would say from working with artists it also is helpful to like come with an idea and like i i mean i work in the virtual production space but also with people who are using like projections or who are using 3d scans who are utilizing different technologies to kind of hack them to create the story that they want to tell and I find a lot of times like that is so motivating. Like maybe you actually don't want to go and like sit down and like learn Unreal Engine. But if you have this idea, you kind of just like will figure out the things that you need to do to make your particular story happen and kind of like si sideways yourself into it. Empower yourself. Yeah, empower yourself. And you'll find that you'll 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 learn a lot of technologies along the way just by virtue of trying to see the thing that you that's like in your head. Um, and so if you're starting with an idea and you just like know that what the tools are to help make it happen and you can figure out the lessons that you need to like get that output. I think that's a really great and encouraging way to start, or at least from working with artists. Like, a lot of times we start there, we can, we can get further. Yeah. yeah that's, that's like excellently put exactly it. Yeah. Are there resources out there for folks who want to connect with people who are kind of already in the space who have the skills? Like what are ways that people can, get a little bit more part hands-on, but just information, you know, I, this is something that even for us at MNN is new and we're all just sort of self-discovering, but like where can just the general viewer go online, 
in or outside of New York City to maybe connect with creatives who are already kind of doing this work and can be an inspiration? I think social media, uh, to be honest, and um, for me, LinkedIn um, has been great for that. Discord channels. Um, and to be honest, uh, as, as, as someone who knows someone who's really advanced in Unreal Engine said, we're all figuring this stuff out. You know, um, there's glitches on Unreal Engine. There's something that I was trying to do, like uh, audio activated glowing uh, intensity, and it, it was not working. So they reached out to Unreal Engine uh, themselves. And so Discord channels, um, other creators who are using Unreal Engine, uh, uh, some YouTube channels, comment, usually they were pretty responsive. And people are trying to help each other learn. You know, I haven't really had an issue with them saying, I'm really busy. I don't want to talk to you or being rude. They're usually like, Hey, listen, I'm, I'm finishing this up. Can I, can I get back to you in a week? Um, but yeah, just kind of leveraging your network and just poking your head in and commenting, being engaged. The more you're engaged, the more they're going to give you something back. But I think it's, they told me it's the wild, wild west out there. So everybody's figuring it out and learning why things are not working or not responding. So I think that's also something I had to realize uh, because I was so frustrated at times that it's not that many people who are truly, truly, truly experts at this, especially ones that are kind of at arm's arm's length, right? Um, so I think having patience, being in the social media channels, uh, that's going to be uh, a way to, to learn. Yeah, I think they're also on top of that, uh, there's a lot of like BTS video out there um, kind of showcasing the workflow and different processes. Uh, you know, there are ASC articles to read to help out with that. Um, going to throw our own little plug in there we actually have a Moses academy coming to new york um it's happening the week after cine gear it's a five-day class on installing calibrating using our full system getting a scene out there using green screen making sure that the you know that your ar elements are sticking to where they're supposed to be so you know we have we have that happening um march 13th to 17th and what i'm trying to do uh in new york is to start build building a community and um just uh yeah i well, while i was at red we had this community building event once a month called the red underground where we would invite people to come into our space and showcase anything that they made you know it didn't have to be shot on red we were just trying to build that community and it was great and i have a couple of ideas i'm looking for some uh some studios with some led walls and uh using our tracking to kind of we have a lot of there are a lot of people there out there playing around in Unreal and building out these environments or these characters. And the furthest they've gotten is seeing it on their computer screen or seeing it possibly on a green screen. But being able to see what it would look like in like a studio setting on, on a wall and inviting people, I think, you know, I think that's huge. And I think that it's slowly coming up. You know, there's more people interested in virtual production. And, you know, we want to be a part of... Uh, the start of that community. I think there was a statistic that was like 40% new users, new users this year with Unreal Engine. Yeah, a lot, a lot of people. Mm -hmm. Do you think um, COVID played a part in that uptick? I think it definitely accelerated it. Uh, it was definitely moving in that direction. And then, you know, virtual production, remote production, all of that just had to, had to speed up um and you know with with just hardware you know it, it shot up and it, it kind of plateaued a little bit and it's slowly trying to it's starting to come down as as far as price goes so it's getting more accessible and more affordable 
for uh, certain companies and people. But yeah, I, I definitely think COVID was a huge uh, catalyst for it. I mean, my, my advice was going to be is like, just like watch a bunch of projects. I mean, the first thing like YouTube obviously has these behind the scenes. I learned about virtual production. I've never seen Star Wars, but like I watched all the BTS of like the virtual production of like the Mandalorian. And I like, did too before I saw it. Yeah, there's a lot there. <laughs> um, but even if you're interested in VR or like augmented reality, I think watching as many projects as you can and like seeing who's behind them. Like what are the production companies? Who are those artists? And like backtracking that way. Um, is also, I think, part of it. How have you all seen the technology sort of shift and change over time from, you know, your beginnings in it? And I, I say that thinking about the days of when I used to do green screen productions and, you know, there was no camera tracking. It was just, it was what it was. And we had to fake it. We'd have a little shot that was cropped in and a version of that where it looked like it was happening, but it wasn't quite happening. And this is like 10 years ago. And so I'm just curious how you've seen the technology sort of grow over the years. And if there's things that are, you know, accessible to general folks, I know like on the phone, the iPhone pros can do some AR and any other things that people can maybe realistically have access to as this as you mentioned things becoming more affordable more accessible um i use for my musical number for the evil robot um i actually use my phone for motion capture and so for me that was um mind-blowing because it was pretty good it was actually very good so i set my phone up did a little dance number and then recorded it put up some software within five minutes i had the 3d motion capture data and animated and I can put it into Unreal Engine and then put it into the character. Um, so that for me is recently um, has been something I'm realizing that eventually, well, you need all these sensors in the bodysuit that I have as well um, to get the, you know, you might need two cameras. You know, Andrew has like the practical camera for the shot and then the one camera, you know, doing the, the, the movement of the character. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if suits are either like, you know, very like comfortable fabric and very little wires or just a camera. So that's for me recently, uh, what I've noticed. And then, um, just the software just improves, um, looks <laughs> nicer, more realistic uh, options. Um, but for me, I've always thought it looks awesome. So. Yeah. We're working with an artist right now, uh, Damien McDuffie out of Oakland, California. Um, and he's working on an AR tour of Black Panther murals um, within mm -hmm. Oakland. And he has his own app called Black Terminus, but he's kind of made it his mission to like anything, anything that you need to do to be able to create an AR for a mural, he finds an iPhone app that can do it. And he kind mm -hmm. of finds the best one so that other people can kind of tap in to create AR right on, right there. But like facial, facial motion capture apps, he's kind of just like, looked and found the best one but the iphone really you can do every i mean even motion capture now you don't necessarily need a suit it will just capture your actual motion and then ai will kind of interpret what's happening between those it's not as accurate i would say as like these motion capture um setups if, if you can get access to them like here at mnn but um it is becoming you know quite ubiquitous yeah. I think, yeah, you're right. Like you, you, you could do a lot with your iPhone and, you know, the difference between that and, you know, getting like a camera an actual like camera tracker is just the accuracy, 
you know that that's kind of the difference there where you you know like that that's stuck there if you had your phone it could be moving around a little bit um but yeah technology just uh it keeps changing it keeps evolving um you know like talent tracking you know you you used to have like some sort of like like a little radio that you would put in your pocket and that's where the system would kind of know where you were in the space a little bit. We have something we were talking about this earlier with like an XN suit where we use a little OEM star tracker and it's just on, on the, um, on your talent and it, and it keeps you stuck there while you're walking around in the virtual world. And now there's, um, like LIDAR scans or they're, they're using AI to kind of separate talent from led walls or without the, without the need of putting like a green screen or blue or black or whatever screen you wanted to do. But technology just keeps changing. And, you know, once, once we find that new thing that starts working, everything that is currently working is going to lower in price and make it easier for a lot of people to get into. But yeah, I I think, um, we're, we're in, I don't want to say it. We're, I feel like we're in phase one of virtual production. I know it's been around for a very long time, but this is when like the most amount of eyes are on it. And that's when the technology changes. So I want to kind of get into people's content. You know, if someone goes all in and say, I'm, I'm in this, I want to do it. I want my work seen. How does the distribution part of it sort of shift a little bit or even from the competition side, you know, whether it's entering your work into festivals or having people see it, you know, I know there's some things with 360 and YouTube and them starting to, uh, you know, I watched the, I'm a rock climber and I watched a video of someone rock climbing and I knew it was a 360 video, but I didn't even know how to interact with it. And then all of a sudden I was like, sweat, and I was like, oh, now I can see where you're going and where you've been. And so, you know, I think it's it's kind of interesting for someone if they decide to get into this, but they're like, do I put it on my YouTube? Can will Eminem air it? Like, what do I do with it? And I know even Asia, from your perspective, it's like a lot of immersive and art galleries. And so can you just talk a little bit about the ways that people can use it and, and distribute their their work? Yeah, I think in the way that like. It, it totally depends on your output. I mean, sometimes are you people are using virtual production, but they're creating like 2D films, right? Like traditional where or versus something where it's a 3D, you have to like put on a headset or be able to like pivot in a 360 um, environment in order to see the whole platform. Um, and so there's a couple of different ways. I think if you're using virtual production to to create a 2D film, then, you know, there are those traditional routes. I think for us, um, it really runs the gamut of like uh, location-based experiences where you really need to be there to interact um, with the project to things that you can do at home and on YouTube with 360. The industry right now for what I call like interactive media or immersive media, I think is at kind of a crossroads. And I maybe it is quite news because virtual production is um, coming more into play. But a lot of our experiences do go on to be in the festival circuit, like Tribeca Film Festival, for instance, has an immersive um, curated lineup. And so you can go and see projects that are in VR and in augmented reality and um, our narrative pieces or documentary pieces. And so there's a whole kind of art form um, and industry surrounding this kind of experimental work at this intersection of art and technology 
if you look for it. I think um, we are actively seeking more distribution spaces. I think it would be great um, for them to be more available. A lot of people talk about how like there's movie theaters for movies. Like what does that look like for interactive experiences? I think people are coming to know them more. Like I think the Van Gogh experience, for instance, if you're familiar with that, um, these like huge projections of Van Gogh painting on the wall, like kind of move and interact with you. Um, people, I'm hearing people say the word immersive for the very first time. And I think as more and more people use this language and have some touch point to what that could mean, it also opens up the space for, I think, more artful, narrative-driven stories to be out there and available for the public and for it not to feel like this kind of niche, arty thing on the side. Uh, distribution, I mean, I'll, I'll be honest, that's something that I, I'm trying to improve on is just share it, you know? Um, I need social media um, YouTube. I mean, there's also, you know, you want to learn how to get people's attention, movie posters, YouTube thumbnails, uh, descriptions, and then your content as well. Um, but I would say what I've come across with a lot of people, cause I, I get asked quite a bit is how do I, uh, how do I, how do I start filming? How do I create content? And, and, and just regular, regular 2d video. Uh, but then also on some people right now in 3d, regular little yeah. people, yeah, <laughs> the normal people ask me, um, and there's a vulnerability to it. So it doesn't matter uh, the plat If it's good, it's good. People are going to see it. it. There's there's definitely some strategy about how to get more eyes on it. But I think it's kind of get over the self-limiting belief that you're not good enough or your content's not good enough. And if it's not good, you'll find out and then you'll do better next time. And you'll never do it again or you'll do it purposefully the next time. Uh, so I think it's, you know, just use all the channels. We were talking about Twitch earlier, you know. Um, I've never done live streaming, to be honest. Um, I'm actually terrible at like live, uh, like, as a physical therapist being live and talking, like I'm terrible, but if I act, well, this, this is film, so it's different, <laughs> but like, if I were to like be a YouTuber and talking about, I might be very awkward. Uh, but like, you know, my, my virtual character would be doing a uh, live Twitch stream, but there, you have to kind of get over this, uh, you know, lack of kind of confidence or scared to get feedback from it. So it doesn't matter. You can go on Snapchat, what a TikTok, uh, Twitter, LinkedIn, YouTube, submit it to a film festival, submit it to, I'm sure there's virtual production film festivals out there. I haven't looked uh, recently, but um, any film, there's a big Apple film festival for those of you in New York City. Um, but I think there's always, and that's what everybody says, I want to do it and they never execute. And naturally what limits you the distribution there's tons of channels there's tons of places um and there's plenty of places looking for content too on streamers like little uh little people again <laughs> uh looking for content so i think that there's an opportunity right now that um it doesn't matter where you place it just place it get feedback from it do better and if it's good people are gonna respond to it i completely agree and it's like get, get yourself out there don't be afraid of the feedback take the feedback learn from it um, you know, like you said, all the social media platforms, LinkedIn is also another great place to actually, um, meet other creatives or see where they're working and then do a little bit of research on them. Facebook has a lot of groups, uh, that have ton of virtual production groups where you go, Hey, I have this question and you know, 10,000 people will come in back, maybe try this or, you know, the community there is great. And I think that's a good place to start. Yeah, and here at CME, we are really excited to be building ourselves a virtual production community, uh, a media community. So make sure, um, you know, you join our newsletter so you know when we have events, 
when we have uh, virtual production classes and workshops and really trying to make this technology accessible. We really want to help, um, you know, the community because we don't feel like it should be this big barrier to entry. Um, you know, one of the one of sort of my last questions that I have before we go to questions from the audience. And if you haven't put your questions in the chat um, on YouTube, we're taking questions. If you're following us on Twitter, we can take some questions there uh, at NYC CME. Uh, but one of the things that I'm curious about is um, sort of the roles. You know, we when we think of 2D or traditional video and film production, you know, we think about the, the editor and the director and uh, the talent. Uh, but from a virtual production standpoint, outside of obviously understanding how to navigate Unreal Engine, what do you feel like are some key roles that people could be starting to sort of hone in on and say, um, I want to get a job in this space or I want to go work for uh, CBS VFX Studios or go to L.A.? Uh, what are some essential roles that they can be mindful of. And one thing we learned in, in this whole space is that it's such a new and ever-changing world uh, that the titles of those roles may be constantly changing, uh, but just conceptually things that people who may want to say, because one thing I do know that we've learned is that there is a high demand for people who understand this technology and there is not enough people who know how to use the technology. And so just getting into the door, what do you all feel would be some of the um, you know, most important things? I think outside of like in Unreal artists and working within the software, I think a VP operator, knowing, knowing what the technology can do and how to, how to calibrate it and make sure it works properly. Because if, if that's not working, like let's just say our, the Star Tracker is not working, then the whole shoot is isn't going to work, and there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, different pieces to the pie, you know. And you on it, you have to be able to know what each of them does. You don't need to master it, but you need to know what it does. So I think you know, doing a little bit of research there, looking into what a VP operator is and uh, the different the different companies that provide the technology. It's like every LED is a little different. You know, like the wall could be curved, it could be straight, it could have a different pixel pitch. Um, I, I would start off with, you know, something basic like that, like VP operator, just like Google it and start from there. I'll maybe put a plug in for producers. Um, I think artists are always looking for producers. I think, and then if you're thinking about more like studio productions, finding someone that's, able to have like a, a like a technical go between between the work like the art that's trying to be made and like the actual practicality of like what that looks like on the ground as a project manager um, is few and far between especially folks who can really communicate with talent and also with developers who are working like an unreal engine um, I, I just like love producing I think um, it's a great middleman position and it, it's not easy for projects to really get off the ground. Um, without a team of producers. And so if you're interested in being able to kind of have a bird's eye view of all the things that are happening and you're like really interested and invested in getting a project from ideation to like out in front of an audience, um, yeah, I'll put a plug in for, for producing. Do you feel like there's much of a difference between being a film producer or a television producer and transitioning to a virtual production producer? Yeah, I think if I was going to go from our virtual 
production role, which is not necessarily what I do. But I think being a technical producer in that space means that you do you do have a sense of the technology. Maybe you're not getting your hands in and, and you're not necessarily able to do it, but you know all the terminology. You know what it means. I think you could transition because at the end of the day, even if you're utilizing a virtual camera, you're still talking about setting up a shot, right? Like the translation, I think, outside of the actual software, um, it's pretty, it's pretty similar. You're, you're using a lot of the same um, tropes, so to speak. So, but I think it would take some education. Any thoughts, Adrian? Uh, <laughs> to paraphrase Spike Lee, I'm the set designer, the DP, and the actor, the backup the actor, producer, music designer. Um, I, it's a tough one because um, I think dabbling in a little bit of everything, you'll figure out what's, what speaks to you. Um, I'm by necessity mostly because I have to do everything. Because, um, yeah, to be honest, like, I would love to work with both of you because I would just show up as talent. <laughs> That's it. You know, write the script and show up as talent and have everybody else produce it. Um, but I think, it, you know, using the software, I think one of the... Um, I would I would actually say either um, I'm being a level sequencer um, uh, person or a landscape artist would be, um, to start off in an Unreal Engine. Uh, but there's just so many things, you know. There's so many things, and everybody's different. And so you might, but if you try several things out, you might figure out that you might like it. You know, I've met several people who was like. Well, I wanted to be a DP, and then I realized I loved being a director, right? Or a director, and then they realized I don't like directing; I like being a an actor, you know, or vice versa. So uh, I think it's um, just try something, see how it works, uh, see what's easiest for you, but also what you enjoy, or you might like a challenge. Uh, but I think to get into it, the environments to me are are, are fun, but they're also interesting because it kind of gives you a way to understand the actual software and to navigate around it. I think that would be how I'd recommend that you get into uh, using the virtual production. Yeah, and I, and just one of my own personal things um, that I would suggest, if you are a cinematographer, a camera operator, whether it's your mobile phone or uh, a DSLR, mirrorless camera, you know, the virtual camera and virtual cinematography is different, but I think it's a very nice transition if you understand depth of field and lenses and lighting, you know, but doing all that virtually, to me, it's just the tech part. But if you understand the concepts of, of color temperature, of lens and, and how shots can create emotion, it's a really easy transition. It's just like, okay, I already get this. I just need to know this basic tech part of it. Well, it happened to me last week or two weeks ago, you know, you use a camera you change a 50 millimeter to an 85 millimeter lens manually or an unreal just click a drop down <laughs> you double the sensor width you can have any camera that you want and you can change the depth of field like f-stop and so it as long as and that and then I, I was like oh i know this and just literally just drop down and change it so that's actually a really good point that in unreal you can use any camera you want and have any lens that you want and it's pretty fascinating that's fun to me yeah so we got quite a few questions. So I'll jump into the into the question side of things. Um, but um, 
first of all, and this is a good question, even one I was going to ask if no one else did. Uh, but Megan wants to know, what advice would you give to those who are just starting out in content creation? Uh, it's all about the story. Uh, literally, it says content, right? So I'm fortunate that I had a passion from day one, even before I started learning production. Um, and I would say, I mean, a lot of art, what the book called Seal Like an Artist um, speaks to me a lot. You know, Michael Jackson wore the short pants uh, because of uh, Gene Kelly and the white socks and the loafers. And so we typically are impressed or um, uh, inspired by another artist that comes before you. And then you have your own truth. And so it all comes down to the story. If you have a great story, you can have terrible looking characters, terrible looking landscapes, terrible Unreal Engine artistry. But if the story hits home, hits hard, and it's relatable about the way you grew up, about challenges that you face in life, about social justice issues, about poverty, about health, about education, um, or, or just com or just comedy, right? You know, talking about real life situations. Um, you can make a you know a really compelling you know content about online dating and how how challenging it is or how great it is. So it really doesn't matter. Um, it's just kind of find out what you want to talk about, what's inside yourself that other people can benefit from as well. So that's where, that's where it starts. It's like the storytelling everything else is just toys, tools. Yeah, I would totally, I mean, we are always telling artists, like it's, you're not, you're not working for the technology. Like how is technology enabling you to tell this story that's in your mind that you want to say? So I think, yeah, definitely starting with story first. Um, I mean, it's one thing if you, if you just want to, create something to be able to play with these tools. I think that's totally valid. But if you're really just like working from the place of like, you have this idea to tell, maybe virtual production isn't the right space. You know, maybe it actually would work out better in traditional film, or maybe it actually should um, be an AR, you know, figure out how best to tell your story um, and then, and then worry about the tech that's going to help you do that. Yeah, I, you know, I, <laughs> I'm not there yet, but it, it's kind of, Put yourself out there, you know, and just keep learning from your experiences. Like you put something together and, you know, people go, well, what if you tried this? Or what if you tried that? Or I like this. I like that. So when you go to the next thing you, you throw on, you remember that and you just start growing from that. And I think just not being afraid of putting yourself out there and be a little vulnerable. Yeah. Um no, that's great. I love when people mention story because story is something that I'm excited for us to, you know, we've been so tech based um, historically as a department and we just were like, we just want you to use the camera and make something. We don't care about the story. Just make something. And now we're trying to flip it and really hone in on the story and the impact that the stories can have. And while we're doing that, we'll make sure you get the tech knowledge. But, you know, at the end of the day, we really wanted to have some heart. So. I'm happy you said that. Um, now, this is a good question. And again, this is something that probably us as a department will have to, to navigate and work with folks on. But Gail wants to know, for people who are just starting out, like what are the babiest of steps to get started into, you know, virtual production, XR, VR? Like this whole thing, is there somewhere that's kind of like a really good entry point? Because Unreal, we already said, is going to be a lot for some people. Um, I'd say just start off on YouTube and just 
uh, watch as many videos as you can and kind of be like, I kind of, I'm interested in that position or how did they do this and how did they do that? And, you know, it, it, you kind of have to take it upon yourself because right now that I don't know if there is like a central location that is going to offer all the information you need to know before you get into it. So it's kind of, you know, going out there and doing the research yourself. I would say watch projects. Um, if you're interested in virtual reality or augmented reality um, or even WebXR, like go see what's been made before you. I think it's like so generative um, to see what's out there and how people are utilizing technology to tell stories about emotions and about subtext and about like all these things that like communicate something different because you're using your body differently in the storytelling. Um, some ways to do that are to, you know, look at film festivals that have immersive programming. Um, DocuBase by, out of MIT is like a great collection of just work that's been made before that like uses tech and documentary. Um, Black Public Media, BPM Plus. Um, we work with artists and every year we have a showcase of in development projects that utilize technology in their storytelling. Um, watch those pitches, but like, just start with watching, watching things and enjoying them too. From a, from a different perspective, I, I would say um, kind of, um, there, I feel like there's a little bit of a hierarchy in software. So like, you know, know your film editing, know your, um, uh, you know, cameras, Af Adobe After Effects is a good kind of middle ground to go from, uh, normal video <laughs> to the 3d uh, realm because um, you can kind of 3d make 3d options use cameras and, and lights um and then dabble in blender and then usually from there to one of the virtual production um places no i'm glad you said that because i do agree that if you have some basic video editing or even 3d motion graphic editing experience walking into unreal won't feel so overwhelming if you have a basic understanding of lenses walking into you, like those very basic things, if you don't have that, then yeah, you're going to be in there spinning wheels. I mean, cause there's already enough with the 50 million menus and places and buttons and that can't overwhelm you. But if you're like, I know what a timeline is, this feels like this is where I can actually animate some things. Like I think that is a good starting point and not so much just take a, you know, premiere class or resolve class, like really get immersed in editing. You know, a lot of folks I see kind of just get into it. They do their, I can get my footage in and I can get my footage out, but that's all I'm doing. There's so much more that some of these programs can do. And if you really spend some time in them um, and you feel that comfortable that you can troubleshoot yourself, you won't have to feel as overwhelmed. So awesome that's so cool well thank y'all this has been very fun for me because i geek out on technology and and i'm always learning as an educator i want to constantly be learning and i'm just really excited to be able to share a lot of this a lot of what y'all do with the community that we have here and the community that we're you know inviting into our space and so you know this has been amazing Please connect with these folks. Please see what they're doing out here um, and tell your stories. Um, I want to just thank you. I'm going to try to see if I can get this AAA without <laughs> sounding really weird. Uh, but Andrew, Asia, and Adrian, 
Thank you for joining me tonight. This has been amazing. I, you know, appreciate and respect all the work that y'all are doing and uh, look forward to continuing to work with all of y'all. From the New York City Center for Media Education, this has been CME Presents, available wherever you get your podcasts. Music is by Jacob Backer, William Hutchison, and Sean Sparacino. If you like what you hear, please rate, subscribe, and review. And don't forget to check out our website at nyccenterformediaeducation.org for more information about media making and filmmaking classes.